if you want to do something, you don't have to have this lightning bolt that says, this is my life's purpose and passion. You can just have something that you are interested in trying to be better at, whatever it may be, and you can create your own motivation as you go along. Hey, Mike Matthews here from Muscle for Life and Legion Athletics, back with another episode of the Muscle for Life podcast. And this time around, we're gonna be talking motivation, a topic that is very popular, especially in the fitness space, and something that I have recently written very extensively on in a new book of mine that's coming out in a couple months called The Little Black Book of Workout Motivation. This podcast, however, is not going to be about the book. It's not going to be excerpted from the book. I will be doing that soon. In this podcast, I'm going to interview Jeff Hayden, who is a very popular columnist over at Inc.com and also the author of a new book called The Motivation Myth, How High Achievers Really Set Themselves Up to Win. And this is actually how I found Jeff, and I really liked what he had to say in this book, so I got him onto the podcast. Now, have you ever wondered why some people are so motivated and other people are not? Have you ever wondered why some people just seem to have it, grit, willpower, conscientiousness, whatever you want to call it, and other people do not? Were these people that have it just born with it? Did they develop it through training? Does it have to do with them finding and pursuing their true calling? Or is there some other explanation? Well, in today's interview, Jeff is going to argue that motivation doesn't come from luck or genes, but from something much simpler and more practical. He says that it comes from small wins. You see, Jeff believes that the best way to get and stay motivated is to set goals. Yes, of course, you need to set goals, and there are good ways to set goals and bad ways to set goals. But once you've set goals, the next step is more important, and that is creating a process that allows you to experience and celebrate regular small wins along the way toward those larger goals. And this is something that I completely agree with, so much so that I think goals are not nearly as important as many people think. I think many people put way too much attention and emphasis on goals and way too little attention and emphasis on processes and routines. And that's what today's discussion is going to be about. Now, here's a little bit of what you are going to learn in this interview. You're going to learn how to stay motivated to achieve your goals, even after repeated failures, which is very important because no matter how smart you are, no matter how good your plans are, no matter how hard you are willing to work, you are going to experience failures. I have experienced many failures along the way to getting to where I am today. And in fact, a number of those failures have taught me very important lessons that I've been able to use to slingshot myself to higher levels of success. You're also going to learn how to create a daily routine that gets you closer to your goals every day and which helps keep you motivated. If you're into fitness, which you probably are if you're listening to this, you know exactly how this works. You know exactly how motivating it is to make small incremental gains in the gym and in the mirror 
and you know that although the changes are slight day to day, they add up to something significant over time. And that's how you go from being a skinny fat dude to a jacked dude. That's how you go from being very weak to very strong. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and you're okay with that so long as you know things are moving in the right direction, so long as you see small frequent wins. Jeff's also going to talk to you about the right way to think about self-doubt and critical feedback and how you can use this to fuel your motivation and drive. And like the failures point, this is also very important because all of us are going to experience self-doubt. All of us are going to experience imposter syndrome to one degree or another, and how we respond to it is key. If we allow it to deflate us and slow us down, we will lose. If we can use these things to increase our drive, however, to increase our desire to succeed, then we will have learned to clear a hurdle that many people get tripped up on. This is where I would normally plug a sponsor to pay the bills, but I'm not big on promoting stuff that I don't personally use and believe in. So instead, I'm just going to quickly tell you about something of mine. Specifically, my 100% natural fat loss supplement, Phoenix. It has sold over 100,000 bottles in the last several years, and it helps you lose fat faster in three ways. One, it increases your metabolic rate. Two, it amplifies the power of fat-burning chemicals produced by your body. And three, it increases the feeling of fullness from food. In short, it speeds up your metabolism, it helps your body burn fat more efficiently, and it helps you control hunger and cravings and maintain high energy levels. Phoenix also contains no artificial food dyes, fillers, or other unnecessary junk. And all that is why it has over 700 reviews on Amazon with a four-star average and another 250 reviews on my website with a four-and-a-half-star average. So if you want to burn more fat every day and have an easier time sticking to your diet without having to pump yourself full of harsh stimulants or potentially harmful chemicals, then you want to head over to www.legionathletics.com and pick up a bottle of Phoenix today. And just to show how much I appreciate my podcast peeps, use the coupon code podcast at checkout and you will save 10% on your entire order. And lastly, you should also know that I have a very simple 100% money back guarantee that works like this. You either love my stuff or you get your money back, period. You don't have to return the products. You don't have to fill out forms. You don't have to jump through any other hoops or go through any other shenanigans. So you really can't lose here. Head over to www.legionathletics.com now place your order and see for yourself why my supplements have thousands of rave reviews all over the internet. And if for whatever reason, they're just not for you, contact us and we will give you a full refund on the spot. All righty, that is enough shameless plugging for now at least. Let's get to the show. Hey Jeff, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, thank you. It is, it is my pleasure. So we're going to be talking motivation, which is uh, something that I've been reading and writing about a lot because I'm, I'm actually wrapping up a book, which I'm calling The Little Black Book of Workout Motivation. And I'm excited to, to have this conversation because I, I like your book, The Motivation Myth. And um, I have some, some things I'd like to ask you about and kind of get your thoughts on. And some of the stuff is stuff you've covered in the book for uh, the people that haven't read it. And then other stuff are things that, again, I was just curious as to 
some follow up with you. If we want to start at the top, I'm, I'm curious what kind of spurred you to, to write this book? Because obviously a lot has been said on this subject, and I guess you could say that about anything. But what was it that inspired you to throw your hat into the ring? It, it kind of started, I'm lucky enough in what I do that I get to talk to lots of really successful people in a variety of fields. And I can use a bunch of different examples. We'll we'll go with a metal one just for fun. I was talking to Kirk Hammett, which, you know, if you're going to drop a name, Kirk's is a good one to drop. He's the Metallica guitarist. He's been in this band forever and they're wildly successful and they still sell out stadiums. And, and I was kind of saying, you know, what, what spurred you on early to, you know, decide you wanted to have a career in music and to do this? Because I was assuming there was going to be this watershed moment, like this lightning bolt thing that hit him. And he said, I just, one day I was looked at my guitar, it was in the closet. And I thought, you know, I want to play you better. And that was his big moment. And so I thought about that. And I thought about like, I talked to Venus Williams about the same thing. And all these people that I've talked to, and not one of the people that are these, what we would consider to be super high achievers, had this lightning bolt moment where they said, wow, I have figured out what I want to do. I figured out my life's purpose. I figured out my goal and I have all the motivation I need to carry me through all the years of struggle and everything else to get there. So I contrasted that with lots of people that write me and say, hey, I feel stuck. Don't know what to do. I I can't seem to find the motivation to get going. I have all these hopes and dreams and goals, but I can't really do anything. And all of them were waiting for motivation to somehow pop down upon them and fill them with all that they needed to go off and seek and destroy, to use a Metallica song title. So I looked at that and I thought, okay, you've got these highly successful people that see motivation as something that they get to create on a daily basis. And then you have the people that feel stuck that think that motivation has to come to them. So that was the the central premise there was that if you want to do something, you don't have to have this lightning bolt that says, this is my life's purpose and passion. You can just have something that you are interested in trying to be better at, whatever it may be. And you can create your own motivation as you go along, which, you know, if I look at the stuff that you've done, I'm sure that resonates with you because that's how you've achieved what you've achieved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can totally relate to that. I mean, that's I've, I've actually said as much many times that when I first got into this, it was it was really just kind of on a on a lark. I was I wrote a book, Bigger, Leaner, Stronger. Self published it. wasn't really sure that anybody was going to care, and didn't have any grand ambitions. Really, didn't have any master plan beyond like see if anybody wants to read my book and gives a shit. And then now it's turned into this whole thing. But even going back before that, how I found writing was just like that. It was eh, I've always been a good student. I've always liked to read. I've always liked language. Um, maybe I'd like to write. And then that was it. So I was like, yeah, maybe I could be good at it. And I would say, I mean, now after a lot of work and a lot of grinding, I'd say, I'd say I'm pretty good at this point by my standards. Not very good. But um, yeah, I can absolutely relate to that. Yeah. And it's it, what it comes down to is that like for you, and I'm, I'm going to assume that I know you really well, which I don't, but we'll pretend. You said, okay, I want to try this. I want to get a little better at that. So you didn't look out and say, okay, some, someday I want to write, you know, a Tim Ferriss four hour work week and sell, you know, millions of copies. You didn't think of it that way. You thought, I want to get better. I want to see what I can do with this. I want to improve. And so by focusing on that day to day, so that at the end of the day, you looked and said, you know, that was pretty good, or I did this well, or I've gotten fitter, or I've gotten stronger, whatever the different pursuits you had, if you had those little successes, 
that made you feel good about yourself, which we all love, that made you feel happy, and that gave you enough motivation to carry you to the next day. And really, where motivation is concerned, that's all you need. You don't need this endless storehouse of it. You just need enough to carry you to tomorrow to make you go, okay, here's another day. I'm going to grind today. And I loved your use of the word grind because People see grinding as like this negative. It, it sounds like it's a horrible thing, but grind is actually a really positive thing. Venus Williams, she calls every year like this is Grind Fest 2018. And that's how she sees her life is like, okay, in 2018, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to do the work. And that's what grinding is. And then if you can create a little bit of motivation through success as you go along, just small ones, then you can keep grinding. Because you've got that little virtuous flywheel going of effort, success, fulfillment, motivation, which gets you to the next little dose of effort. And from there, I think it's a, it's a good segue into some myths, some common motivation myths. So that's, of course, one is that people think that people have achieved great things. They think that it's more because they're just so motivated to keep doing what they're doing and they just love it so much and they wake up every day absolutely ecstatic to go hit some more tennis balls and so forth when uh, that most definitely is not the case. I mean, one of the common things that I mean, I've found just to, just with different athletes, high level athletes that I've known is that a lot of them have gone through periods where they felt kind of burned out, even people that were playing professionally, making a lot of money. And one of the more difficult struggles for a lot of people has been to still have fun with it and not have it just become a job where then you're speaking of grinding, where they, they lose motivation. So what are some other common myths out there about motivation? Well, you know, that brings up an interesting point because that idea, you are right. There are people that will reach a certain level of success and it, it almost does burn you out. The opposite thing can happen though when you're holding out when you have this big goal in mind, you know, we're all taught to create smart goals, you know, like that acronym of, I even forget what it stands for because I don't necessarily believe in it. But, you know, one of them is it has to be meaningful and it has to be attainable. There's all kinds of stuff. But we're taught that you have to pick out this goal and you have to hold it in front of yourself and you have to maintain this laser-like focus and always have your eye on the goal. And I think that's actually an incredibly defeating way to go about it. So to use a fitness metaphor, say you a bucket list item of yours is that you want to run a marathon, but you're not a runner and you don't run. So you go out today and you run a mile, you come home tired, you collapse on the couch, you feel terrible, your knees hurt. If you pop your head up and look out at that 26 mile goal and say, oh my gosh, someday I have to run 26 of these. That laser-like focus on that end goal is going to make you quit because the distance between here, which is you on the couch having run a mile and feeling like hot death, and there having to do 26 miles, it's too far and it's defeating and it makes you give up. But if your goal today was to go out and run a mile, that's your plan, that's your process, that's what you have to do. If that's your process and you do that, you get to feel good about yourself because you did what you set out to do. And that's all that matters today. And the accumulation of all of those days is what gets you to that end goal, not the laser-like focus thing. So I, I think that is another big myth of being motivated is thinking, okay, I've got to keep that big goal in mind because that's going to motivate me. Because oftentimes that's a demotivator because it's too freaking far if you're trying to do something really big. If I want to put on, I'm old, so it's hard. If I want to put on, say, 15 pounds of muscle, like actual muscle, not just 15 pounds, that's a big-ass goal. And if I sit there every day and think, oh my gosh, 
I'm still trying to get there. I'm still trying to get there. I need this 15 pounds. I'm going to quit because it's going to take me a long time. Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, I believe just what pops in my head. I think it was a study. I don't remember who conducted it, but basically they were looking at measuring progress in terms of how far you've come versus how far you still have to go. And it's basically whichever smaller is the one that's more motivating. So <laughs> if you're in that first, you're, you're really, you're trying to get to being able to run a mile comfortably, let alone 26 miles, then if you just focus more on, this is, comes back to focusing on that process because that's really where you're at in the scheme of things. You are not close enough to the 26 miles to really gain anything by contemplating it. But if you can contemplate, all right, well, you're able to run a mile, even if it's uncomfortably, at least you can run a mile. And from there, maybe you can get to, you know, two miles and three miles. And eventually, uh, and, and anybody who has done anything that has taken a significant amount of time and work has probably experienced this, that once you start getting toward the end, I mean, you've definitely experienced this as a writer, once you start getting toward the end of your book, and then then you start looking at, oh, this is all, I only have, you know, this, I have to do one final edit, and then the manuscript's done, you start, that starts to become motivating. But in the beginning, yeah, just thinking about, cool, I have 100,000 words to write and research and edit. And I think you can kind of build your resilience to a point where you don't care either way, but uh, you have to get there. And so, yeah, vague goals in some ways can be inspiring, at least initially, right? Well, I think you can you can have a very specific goal if you want. Like say it's that, we'll use your example of the 100,000 words. Maybe that is my goal because I need that for my book. So that goal though, it can be very specific, but then the only real thing to do with that early on is to let that inform your process. So it's like, okay, that's where I have to go. So how do I build a process that allows me to get there? And then once you have that, you've set your goal. And in my mind, you need to forget that end goal for a while and just put your head down and look at those intermediate goals. Because like you said, at some point when you do pop your head up, you look around and say, holy crap, I'm up to like 60,000 really good words. <laughs> this is pretty cool. I don't have that far to go. And then that becomes a really motivating thing. And like you said, the distance to the end is shorter now, so it feels better. But early on, you can have a really specific goal, allow it to inform your process, figure out your process, and then try as best you can to forget that big goal and just stick to the day-to-day. -day. Yeah, I agree. Hey, quickly, before we carry on, if you are liking my podcast, would you please help spread the word about it? Because no amount of marketing or advertising gimmicks can match the power of word of mouth. So if you are enjoying this episode and you think of someone else who might enjoy it as well, please do tell them about it. It really helps me. And if you are going to post about it on social media, definitely tag me so I can say thank you. You can find me on Instagram at Muscle for Life Fitness, Twitter at Muscle for Life, and Facebook at Muscle for Life Fitness. Do you have any specific insights to share in terms of how you go about creating processes for your goals? Probably my favorite, which, uh, which I've, I've also gotten the most heat for, uh, would be one of the chapters in my book is you don't need a coach, you need a pro. And I've had lots of people that are in the, especially the business and life coaching profession that have taken great offense to that. The point of that chapter was, well, let's say that I've decided that I want to gain, we'll use muscle again. I want to gain 10 pounds of muscle. So I can go to my local gym. I can get the personal trainer who is, you know, taking some personal training courses or whatever. And I can say, hey, I want to put on some muscle. They'll sit there and ask me, 
you know, what do you like to do? What's your fitness level? What's your interest? How much time do you have? They'll ask me all these questions about me and they'll, they'll construct this basically generic program that's pretty soft and probably is not going to get me where I want to go. Or I can go to you and say, dude, I want to gain 10 pounds of muscle. What would you do if you're me? And you're going to say, all right, <laughs> you're going to work your ass off. You're going to lift heavy. You're going to do compound movements. You're going to forget about a lot of isolation stuff because you need to lift heavy, hard, and often. You're going to talk about my nutrition. You're going to do all this stuff that is a real world, practical, here's how it works if you actually want to succeed guide to me gaining muscle, as opposed to the person who's going to give me this sugar-coated, soft, here's some stuff you can do, here's some stuff you can work on. So the reason that I like the hardcore approach from someone who has actually done it and will give you the real deal is because at the end of this, let's say I do it for six months. At the end of that six months, all the work I put in on either one of those plans, it's already behind me. So I don't care. What I care about is where am I at the end of that six months? And I would rather be at a place where I have come really close to, if not having achieved my goal, than be at a place where, wow, I didn't get very far at all. Because the effort is gone, the results are what you're living with. So, you know, my thing is if whatever you want to achieve, if it's start a business, write a book, I don't care what it is, find someone who has done that and will give you a clear, cold clinical assessment of, Here's what you have to do. And then all you have to do, the cool thing is all you have to do is follow that because, you know, people seem to think that they need to reinvent the wheel for themselves, you know, because we're all unique and special and individual. And yes, we are all individuals, but most things work for most people. So there's no reason to go out and reinvent a perfectly good wheel. There are great wheels out there. If you look to the people who have actually accomplished what you want to accomplish, and if you ask in a nice, friendly way, I found that most really successful people will actually help you. I know that sounds odd. You know, we're, we're taught to think that no one responds, but if you come at it sincerely, you know, I've, I've decided I want to learn to play guitar. I've thought that my whole life. I'm 57 and I finally decided it might be fun. So I asked Kirk Hammett for some advice and, you know, he's not going to be my teacher, but he's given me a lot of advice. What's some of the advice that he's given you? I'm just curious. Well, he gave me some gear advice. He told me, and I hate this, you know, cause I wanted to learn to play some riffs from some songs right away. <laughs> and he said, you know, you could do that on your own time, but first you really, you really got to actually learn a little bit of theory and learn some scales and learn some technique and, you know, get your fundamentals down, which is like everything else in life. You know, if you're going to tell me about lifting, you're going to work on my form first. You're not going to worry about weight and you're not going to worry about other stuff. You're going to care about is my form correct so that I get the most out of what I'm doing. So a lot of it is that, which I didn't really want to hear because I just wanted to learn how to do the opening to enter Sandman. I thought that would be fun. The yeah. Fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, I wanted, to be able to, I wanted to be able to go to a party and if somebody had a guitar, you know, pick it up and play for like 20 seconds and put it back down and be like, oh, no, I don't want to do anything else. Even though well, that 20 seconds you is can. all I have. I mean, I think you have to just decide you, you can do that. Like if you go, that's all I want to do, you can do that. But if you're saying, I want to be good at playing the guitar, I think, you know, that those are different, very different things. That's how I try to approach most things. If I'm not going to get something intrinsic from it, if I don't feel good just myself for having learned to do something or gotten good at something, then I really don't want to do it because that validation you get from other people, like my ability to go to a party and play for a few seconds and impress people, that's kind of fine, I guess. But 
I don't feel like that makes me stick with something that goes away. But when you feel good about yourself for being able to do something, you get that all the time. And that at the end of the day is what makes you feel good about yourself. So his advice was perfect for what I wanted to do. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's that extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation, right? And extrinsic motivators mostly are fleeting and they lose their appeal relatively quickly. Well, what also happens is that you find yourself, because they do go away quickly, you find yourself searching hard for that and you put effort into getting that external validation when you could have been putting that time and effort into just getting better or being able to do whatever it is that you said you really wanted to be able to do. So the chase of the applause becomes a bigger thing than actually doing the work that makes you feel good. Yeah, right. And going back to the to the coach versus pro, I like that. My question to you is then, and this might be something people are wondering, is because you have so many coaches out there for everything, how would you go about finding somebody who's believable, I guess, to use like Ray Dalio's word, right? Um, because I mean, I, it really depends. I totally agree. And I think it's a bit easier in some areas. Like if you want to, you know, I've, t- I've, I've taken a lot of golf lessons and I've taken some golf lessons from very good golfers that were also good teachers that I would say were, they weren't professional golfers, but they were pros in that respect. You know, they had achieved what I wanted to achieve and they were good at teaching. They had achieved that with other people. They had taught other people to do what I want to do as well. But in the case of like, let's say it's just business or money-making or uh, some specific skill related to those things, it can be hard to find someone who is believable because most people that are good at business, good at making money are doing it. They're not teaching people how to do it. They don't have time to do that. And a lot of people, and this comes back to that point you were saying of life coaches and so forth, a lot of people that, and that's such a kind of squishy, what is a life coach and who, who even knows, right? But a lot, you know, it's, it's, I, in my experience, it's been, I've, I've come across a lot of people who would build themselves as business coaches or even marketing coaches, life coaches who have never really built a business to, that's worth speaking about or are really not good marketers or whose lives you wouldn't want yourself. I guess the distinction that I would make is if it's a, a physical skill, like when you said a golf coach, that's a perfect example of where finding someone to teach you, like to work on your swing mechanics and things like that. There are lots of really good people there. And I think that's a fine use of a coach in that situation. If you want to start a business or you're running a business and you're not really getting very far, then I don't think that I would look to you know, a business coach per se, because that's what they do for their living. Because most of the work that you have to do in your business still comes down to you. So what you really need from a coach point of view is someone who does that and has succeeded to a really high level where you just, you know, you get a lunch with them or something like that. And you say, you know, dude, I'm struggling. I've, I've gotten my sales to this point, but I can't seem to break through that. And I'm not sure where to turn. And probably in five minutes, that person is going to be able to say, well, you know, based on your product mix or, or whatever your parameters are, here's what you probably need to do. And it's going to be something hard and it's going to be advice you don't necessarily want to hear, but that you need to hear because the people that have done it and succeeded at a very high level can look at your stuff and very clearly say, here's a fundamental place that you need to make a shift. And so like in business stuff, you just need to find someone who's really, really good. And I know it works all the time. I know it seems hard to find people, but find someone who has built a really successful business, send them a note, give them a call, stop by and just say, you know, I'm 
I'm an entrepreneur too. <laughs> and I'm hoping if I take you to lunch, can I just run something by you and do it in a nice and gentle way? And I've rarely found that people will turn you away if you are nice and sincere about it. But the caveat to that is when they give you advice, you can't automatically argue. And I see people do that all the time. If I say to you, you know, hey, I want to do X. And you say, well, okay, then you need to do one, two, three. And I say, well, wait a minute, one doesn't work and two is stupid. And, you know, people do that all the time too. Usually, you know what you're talking about. And so even if you disagree, you should go home and say, all right, I really need to look at this because what I think is right isn't getting me to where I want to go. So clearly I need to look at something that somebody else is doing. I talked to a guy the other day, he was a major league pitcher for 10 years, all-star team a couple times. He runs a bunch of car dealerships. And he said he used to, when he got traded to a team, they would say, you know, ah, it's not how we do stuff here. And he would say, well, yeah, but you guys have been in fourth place for the last three years. So who gives a shit about what it is you do here? But that really is how that works out. What you're doing, if what you're doing is not getting you to where you want to go, then you need to open up and listen to other people who have gotten to where you want to go because they probably know better than you. I can't think of how many times that somebody has said, you know, you're doing pretty well at this, but if you would only do this, then that would really change. And, you know, I would fight it and I would, I would hate it and I would not want to do it. And then sooner or later, I would say, you know. I should try that. I need to give that a go. And it invariably turns out to be right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I would just add to that something that, and, and I totally agree. I'd add to that something again that I personally look for is um, I like to see someone that has done something that I want to do more than once because sometimes people can get lucky and the luck can play a, a much larger role than you might realize and that they even might realize or might want to uh, accept. But if they've had repeated successes, that of course is, is much less likely. And also someone that can explain the mechanic, they can explain why. They can explain how did this thing work and how are they able to make it happen? Because again, I've come across instances where people did have something to show for, but then they couldn't really, because they actually did just get very lucky, they, they couldn't really break down how they did it. And how they might uh, do it again, or how they might, you know, what what have they learned that can be extrapolated to other um, industries or activities? So those are also two things that I look for, and and I and I also definitely agree that there are a lot of successful people out there who actually would like to to help others. They're very busy, and so they're not going to probably be able to give much time to people who are kind of outside of their inner circle. My experience with this is I've been emailed many times by people who want to do something similar, um, whether it's just entrepreneurial or working particularly in the fitness space. And while honestly, I wouldn't be going to lunch, I don't even go to lunch. Like I eat lunch at my desk. So I would be the person that right now I'd, I'd be declining lunch invitations and I actually have, but I'm happy I've done Skype calls with just random people. Um, I'm happy to email and answer questions. However, I would add to what you have already said that I think it's important to, to not only consider the advice being given and not just instinctively reject it for one reason or another. Also, if you do agree with something, you have to follow through on it and you have to do it. Before you come back with more questions, you got to go do something. Just the reason why I say that, because I've seen that many times as well, where people will ask me questions and I'll give answers. And in some cases, it's like, hey, you should really read this book because it goes over these specific things. I can't just break it down in an email for you. Read this book and come back to me. And then they'll come back at some point later. Hey, did you read the book? No excuses, reasons. And 
honestly, I, at that point, I'm, I'm nice, but that's kind of the end of the uh, the relationship because I can see that they're, they're they're just wasting my time and they're wasting their time because it, it you know it's annoying to take your time to try to help somebody and then they just don't have the follow through to like read a book. Uh, then maybe you shouldn't be trying to build a business. Maybe you should just go get a job. Yeah, I the lunch thing. It's funny you say that because I always say, hey, I'll take you to lunch or something. But you're right. Nobody ever wants to. And I don't really want to either. But I'm trying to show that, hey, I'm extending a gesture here and I'm willing to do something. I'm willing to meet you where it's convenient for you or whatever. But it always turns out that you end up on Skype or on the phone or something else, which is cool. And I actually prefer to because I eat at my desk. Uh, as far as the taking the advice, the that's a really good litmus test of a person who can help you is that they can give you advice, but they can break it down into the how. And it doesn't have to be super detailed, but they can say, you know, here's what you need to do. And I would do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If they don't have the how, then probably they're just giving you platitudes or theories. And, you know, theories are fun, but they don't help you make changes. You know, if you're going to help somebody do something, you have to actually tell them what to do and teach them so that then they can do that themselves and they can learn from it. So I, I remember when I, I decided a few years ago, or it's been a while, I wanted to ride this Grand Fondo there mass participation cycling events and it was a hundred and some miles and 11,000 feet of climbing. And I went to a, a local guy, he's a mountain bike professional. He's won national championships and almost made the Olympic team. And he lived nearby and I said, Hey, I want to ride this Grand Fondo. What would you do? And my first day out and I had to, the farthest I'd ridden before that was about 20 minutes maybe. And the first day out, I had to ride for three hours. <laughs> and I said, you know, three hours is a lot. He said, well, you've got four months to train. So if you want to get there, here's what you have to do. So had I not done what he laid out for me the first week and then went back and say, hey, what do you think I should do now? Well, you're right. He would have just said, well, if you don't want to do what I say you need to do, then find something else or find somebody else. But clearly it's not it's a waste of my time. But he was willing to engage the whole way through because I listened and I tried to do what he told me to do. And I was trying to learn. And you know, that's an incredibly attractive trait. When people come to you and ask you for advice, it's flattering. First of all, you know, it implies that you are a smart person that has advice to give. And then when they follow it, that feels really good too. And that's a really cool thing. And and I have found that most people enjoy mentoring people as long as the other person appreciates it and tries to act upon it. And, you know, someday your mentor can become a colleague because, you know, you've developed stuff and it, then someday it kind of goes back and forth and that's even better. But you have to do the work early on or you're like you said, you're wasting everybody's time. Absolutely agree. It makes me think of uh, the Tiger Woods story. It might be apocryphal. I don't know. I don't, it just sticks in my brain where he was apparently golfing with with somebody, some business person or whatever. And uh, the guy asked Tiger for advice on how to what should he do with his game? How can he improve his game? And apparently Tiger told him that he should just uh, – Take two weeks off, take it easy, don't think about it much, and then quit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that 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 probably is a well, I don't know. I think Tiger had his less than tactful moments along the way. So it may have might have happened. But it was funny because the Jeremiah Bishop is the guy that that helped me to end up riding that Grand Fondo. And you know, when he went out for a ride with me the first day, we only rode for like 15 minutes and went back and he said, okay, you got to do three things. You got to get stronger. You got to work on your form. And I, 
I just said, what's wrong with my form? And he said, well, you know, you're inefficient, you're wasting your pedal strokes. And I said, and so he showed me what to do and it was really uncomfortable and it hurt really fast because I was trying to use all of my legs instead of just the push part of the stroke. And I thought, I don't want to do this. And he looked at me and said, if you want to do this, you got to do that. It's like that thing from The Wire. I don't know if you remember the scene with Marlo and he goes in the uh, in this little convenience store and he steals a, a sucker or something and the security guard comes outside and Marlo says to him, the security guard's giving him a hard time. And he says, you want it to be one way, but it's the other way. And what's funny about that is that we often want things to be one way, which is our way, but usually it's the other way, which is the right way or the hard way or the way we need to follow. And so... Yeah, I know I'm, I'm repeating myself, but it's really important. If, if you're going to try to do something and you want to succeed at it, there is the right way. And then there's the way that's not going to get you there and leave you feeling defeated and demotivating. And man, what's the point of that? If you're going to put the effort in, have every chance of succeeding or else don't put the effort in. Find something else that you would rather do. I mean, it comes to that point though, effort, right? I mean, that's a, a word you've, you've used multiple times. And of course, the the allure of many of the wrong ways is they promise a lot more for a lot less effort. And the more you chase that, I think in life, the worse off you're going to be, period. And the the more um, attuned you you become to the fact that if you want to have things worth having, they take a lot more effort and it's a lot less fun getting there than you would like it to be, basically. And you have, I think it's like happiness in terms of it's a roller coaster. Some days, you know, you have, you're happy and then you're unhappy. You're happy and unhappy. It's, I think it's impossible to always be happy all the time. And that's, I think, the case with, with, with anything. If you're really trying to work towards something, you're not going to be really feeling it all the time. Sometimes you're going to have to do things that are completely unfun that you do not like at all. And you're really just relying on your uh, purpose at that point. Right? Like, why am I doing this thing that sucks? Well, that's right. This is why I'm doing it because I know, you know, it'll, it'll get me there. Um, and, and then sometimes you enjoy the thing that just was sucky the day before. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I kind of cherish those moments. I, I stop and I, I take a moment to enjoy that. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, this is, this is fun right now. So, you know, cause I know tomorrow it may not be so fun. The, the funny thing about that is the, the whole premise of like hacking your way to success is a very pop is a very popular thing, but I don't know. And correct me if I'm wrong, if you know somebody, but I don't know anybody that's achieved anything really, really difficult that hacked their way there. And I don't know anybody that's hacked their way into some fleeting success that actually derived a whole lot of satisfaction out of it because it's, you know, a shortcut may get you somewhere quicker, but it doesn't necessarily make you feel good about what you did to get there. It's, it's almost like a little trick. And you know that you're right. Every day you can't be happy. You can't get a new car every day. You can't get a new house every day. You can't. The accolades don't come every day. But if you're working hard and you see the effort as part of the reward, which I think it is, because at the end of the day, if you think about it, if you look at today, tonight, if you say to yourself, hey, I had a good day, you're not thinking of you know, three phone calls where somebody congratulated you or some extrinsic reward. You're looking at back at your day and saying, you know, I had a lot to get done today. A lot of important stuff I wanted to do. I worked hard. I got it done. I got somewhere. I feel good about what I did today. And that's, 
that comes from effort and from being tired from doing the work, not from hacking your way through something and feeling that fleeting momentary sense of satisfaction. And that's the cool thing. If you do work hard and you are working towards something you want to achieve, every day that you put in that effort, you do get to feel good about yourself and you do get to feel a little bit happy because you're on the road to where you want to go. And that's really fun. Yeah. I mean, there's, I'm actually, actually talk about this in this new book that I'm working on. The work that needs to be done often is the hard work, the uncomfortable work, the exhausting work, the stuff that, that, you know, the people who aren't successful at whatever it is you're working at do not want to do. And so the rewards of that are, are, almost never instantaneous. You're, you're, you're having to put in, it could be hundreds of hours of that before you are really getting a reward that is pleasurable or gratifying. But what you do get is, to, to your point, is you get the immediate feeling of, hey, I did a good job. And, you know, I made a little bit of progress. I'm a little bit closer. You get to feel good about yourself. And, you, you know, you learn to I wouldn't say chase that, but if you can learn to appreciate that as opposed to um, staying too focused on what it is that got you into this in the first place, like we were talking about in the beginning of the interview, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, if you're, if you're too much focused on that and you don't appreciate that, hey, if you do the right things every day, you can feel good about yourself because you're moving in the right direction. And I think that's a way to come to learn to uh, love the process, I guess. Well, it's it's funny. Like, Think about you know, if you're somebody that works out, and I'm sure lots of your listeners are, if you think about a day when you thought, you know, I don't want to go to the gym, I don't want to work out today, but you somehow made yourself go, whatever it was that caused you to do that. Every time you do that, once you're there, or especially when you're done, you do have that moment of, huh, you know, I didn't want to come, but I'm glad I did. That always happens. I never can think of when it doesn't. But when you decide not to go and you don't, there's that little little thing in the back of your head that goes, yeah, I kind of bailed on today. And that doesn't feel very good. And so that is that short-term part of it. But then the other side of, you know, we're talking about lots of effort and working towards something big. When you do that one time, if you put in a ton of effort and you do the work day after day and you get to the other end, and you achieve something you set out to achieve, the cool thing is that you have that in your pocket for the rest of your life. And when something else comes up, maybe it's something you choose to do, or maybe it's something that happens to you that you have to work through, you could you get to kind of go, well, you know, this is going to suck. But then again, I did do that. So I know how to do this. I can get there. It's just a matter of figuring out the process and doing the work, and I can get to the other end of that. And every time you do that, you actually get this cool confidence that you carry with you that when something hard comes up, you can say, huh, this is going to suck, but I know how to do it. And I'm not that intimidated by it. I, I did something stupid a few years ago. I decided it would be fun to do 100,000 pushups in a year. Uh, that's in my book. And it was a meaningless goal and we won't talk about it much, but every once in a while, something will come up and I'll, I'll know that it's going to take me a month or two to do and it's going to be hard, but it's worthwhile and I should do that. And I'll say, well, this is going to suck. But then again, I did do 100,000 push-ups. So if I could do that, I, I could do this. And that is the cool thing about effort because it gives you an earned confidence that you carry with you where you say, I don't have to hack my way through this. There's no confidence that comes from hacking something. But you have this earned confidence of, yeah, 
I can do this. This will be really hard, but I can do that. And as you go through your life, you're going to have lots of things, hopefully, that are challenging that you want to do. And so building that confidence and building that effort muscle, you carry it into any pursuit that you have, no matter whether it's physical or business or whatever it may be. I mean, yeah, every, every area of your life. I mean, it, it takes what it takes effort to have a good relationship. Uh, it takes and any, anything that makes life worth living requires effort. There's just no way around it. It's really, what you're describing is you're able to you, you get into a routine of having kind of powerful, positive self talk, which uh, there's quite a bit of research on, and that makes a huge difference not only in your attitudes but also in your performance. I mean, they've they've researched this with a lot of athletes, as of course you know, the stories that you tell yourselves, or even just the what are your what's your mantra? What do you what do you say to yourself when you are faced with um, discomfort or you're faced with insecurity. And to that point, that's a great, when you have past uh, performance, you can lean on and you can say, well, I've done this before. So I can say with certainty, and I think it's a logical thing to assume that I can probably do it again. And then you do it again. And you're like, now I'm even more believable to myself. I've done it a couple times now. I can probably do it again. And you know that creates a very... Um, a positive feedback loop that again, you know, can, can even inspire you to do other things in other areas where like to that push-up point, you could say, well, this thing that has nothing to do with doing a bunch of push-ups is going to suck, but I'm pretty sure I'm good at doing things that suck because I did all those push-ups. So yeah, whatever, you know, th- this will be another thing. And then when you do that, now you have two very disparate, very different things that suck that you can lean on the next time you have to do something else that sucks. Yeah. The, the cool thing about there's two types of self-talk. There's the I'm just going to say something positive about myself and I'll say it and hope that someday I believe it, which I do know it does work. But what's a lot more powerful is when you have self-talk that's backed up by an action that you have taken in the past, then you actually have the confidence of, yes, I can do this because I have done this. And I know that means you have to do it once, but that's okay. But you know, me just looking in the mirror and saying, I'm going to go out and crush it today. Oh, Okay. Yeah. When you've never crushed a single minute of any day ever, it's a little bit hard to believe. Right. But that does actually, oddly enough, that does help people. But it's a lot more helpful when it's like, you know what? Last week I did X, Y, and Z. And this week I'm going to do it again, or I'm going to do whatever an extension of that is. But self-talk is much more powerful when it's based on history and past and results and things that you've done. And it doesn't even mean that you have to have succeeded. Just the fact that you in the past have put out real focused effort to try to get somewhere, that alone is a, is a positive self-talk affirmation that you can use if you want to, because you're not going to succeed at everything. Uh, I would say there's the difference between right between success and failure and mistakes are along the way. I've made plenty of mistakes that qualify as mi- miniature failures, I guess. But so far, I guess, at least in the in the health and fitness game, I haven't, there's nothing that has been an outright failure yet. Although I'll say my app has been eh, like, I went into it. It was kind of a conditional type of project for me. I was curious how it was going to go. I, I didn't. I, I wasn't sure how much I really believed in it, and how much I really needed it, and how much work I was willing to put into it because I don't want to be distracted from what 
I believe are more valuable things like researching, writing, and uh, and I have whatever various things that I'm needed for in, in Legion and stuff. So just to that point where I would say even even with the app, we're doing still doing some work on it. But even if at the in the end, I'll have spent a fair amount of money and, and a fair amount of time. If I, I'm not just going to delete it or abandon it, but if I'm like, okay, this no longer like this is going on the back burner now. I could look at that as a failure, but yeah, I look also look at it as. Uh, there, there are some lessons to be learned there. Like I didn't even need it in the first place. And I, and I didn't do my planning correctly in the beginning of really estimating how much effort it was going to require to, to do what I wanted to do initially. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think even just talking about motivation and failures in some ways, I find mistakes and, and even failures that they can be used to increase motivation because I choose to learn from them. I used to choose to take something away from them and look back on it and say, okay, what could I have done differently here? And what can I extract from this and kind of abstract from this in, in the way of a principle maybe, or a, something that I can use to then inform future decisions and, and, and maybe spot in the future, oh, this is another one of those types of things. I learned my lesson the first time. I'm going to do this differently. So, you know, I don't know about you, but in terms of failures, I'm, I actually, I don't mind failing. I just refuse to fail due to laziness. That's what would annoy me. You know what I mean? Like if, if yeah, I can yeah. tell myself I worked hard and I really gave a, a, a strong effort, I'm okay with something not having gone well if it wasn't that important. And in, this, in the case of the app, honestly, it's not that important. It was a, kind of a side project that I was curious. It was more of a, a curiosity than anything else. I, where I would be disappointed in myself is if it was just due to pure laziness. If it's like, I just didn't, I just dropped the ball. Um, that's not, that's just, sure, you can learn that lesson. I just would hope that, like, I don't need to learn that lesson now, hopefully. Hopefully I'm beyond that and I can learn some better lessons. Well, I would, you know, I would argue that, I won't even argue you if you'll never have a perfect success rate in everything you do. The only way to do that is to maybe only do one thing and do it all the time and then hope it somehow carries you through. But, you know, you learn some big overarching lessons from your app experience, but you also learn lots of strategic or tactical stuff. You learned about dealing with tech folks. You learned about there's all kinds of pieces and parts of that that you carry with you. So I think that's valuable in itself as long as it didn't kill you, which clearly it didn't. But then also you just, if you don't have some side things going on, and this applies to business, it applies to personal life, it applies to whatever. If you don't have some side things that you're exploring and saying, you know, this might be something interesting, it might be something I want to do, or it might be helpful or whatever it is. If you don't have some of that stuff, then eventually you're stuck. And you, if you cruise along and you do it for a little while and you get to a certain point and you say, like, we'll pretend it's you with your app. Let's say you've decided to abandon it. We'll pretend. That's fine because you carry everything that you learned about that with you the rest of the time. And you took a shot. It didn't work, but you've learned things that will make it more likely that next time you take some other shot, it will work because you have experience in all these different areas and you know yourself a little bit better than you did before. And all those things are really important. People will argue with me. Maybe they do YouTube. They'll talk about me time and how, you know, you can't work all the time and you can't be so focused and driven. And, you know, aren't you allowed to have a personal life and free time? And I do. I have plenty of free time, even though I work a lot too. But I try to make my me time be stuff that I really want to do and think would be fun or would be fulfilling or something. So me time to me isn't like vegging out on the couch and seeing what's on. 
<laughs> if I'm going to watch TV, it's going to be something that I've decided I want to watch and I'm ready to go. You know, it's, I try to do that with my me time. It's like, okay, what would make this the most fun? You know, cause we can relax when we're dead, but you can have yeah, actively the same way. fun. Yeah, you should. And you should. You have to think about it ahead of time or because what happens in the moment, uh, if you haven't really worked it out, especially if you're more work oriented, I've run into this form like, all right, what do I, what do I want to do exactly? And it's easy then to be like, eh, I don't know. I'll just start. I'll just work. <laughs> yeah. But it, like, I, it's a dumb example, but TV is a great one. You're tired. You want to wind down. You sit on the couch, you turn on the TV and you kind of hunt around among a ton of terrible choices to find the least terrible choice of whatever happens to be on. That's one way to do it. Or maybe the other side is you've got some series that you really want to watch and you really like. And so when you do sit down, you say, you know what, I'm going to watch a half hour of this because I really like that and I'm enjoying that. And that's cool. So if you're purposeful about your me time, then that can be a lot more fun and rewarding too, as opposed to the, oh, I just need to veg. You know, because most people don't veg for but about five minutes <laughs> and they look for something to do. But it usually ends up being the least fun choice out of a bunch of terrible choices. Yeah, it's the Robert Green, um, the, the guy who wrote, you know, 48 Laws of Power and Mastery and so forth. There's in an interview somewhere was talking about a live time versus dead time. And dead time is where you're just passively kind of biding your time, maybe consuming, whereas a live time, it doesn't have to be work, but it's something that you're engaged with, something that, that makes you feel alive. Yeah. I ran into Michael Fassbender, the actor, he's Magneto in the X-Men and stuff like that at Daytona at a, at a racing thing. And he does, he races in this Ferrari challenge series, which Ferrari challenge, if you put quotes around, it just means very rich people who have the money to pay someone else to build a car for them. Uh, <laughs> seriously, if, if these guys didn't have, like if they weren't racing there, they'd be the guys with the shirt button unbuttoned halfway down in the gold chains. It had that vibe to it. Um, <laughs> you know, and the 50-year-olds the with the 20-year-old girlfriends. That was that would be kind of that group, except for like Fassbender. But I so saw just, like, just like Ferrari drivers in general. And, well, yeah, because you do have to own a Ferrari <laughs> to be doing it. I ran into Fassbender in the garage area. He's like bouncing. I've never seen somebody seem that excited and fired up. And, you know, I'm assuming this Hollywood actor type is going to be too cool for the room, you know, because typically they are. And I, you know, I said, man, you're fired up. And he said, he said, you know, I do movies and I do stuff. And, you know, we're on the set for 12, 14 hours a day. And he said, I know that sounds like hard work, but mostly it's just really boring because we're waiting for the lighting to get set up and all that. And so, you know, my time isn't my own for large periods of time. And so when I get time, I want to do something that I really, really love. And I really love doing this. And so I thought, well, okay, well, there's a purposeful me time, you know, work-life balance is never going to balance out in terms of hours, but you can balance it out in terms of quality of experience if you try hard. And so I just thought that was a perfect example of why don't you plan your me time just as much as you plan your professional day? And wouldn't that be a ton more fun? I agree. I mean, I try to do it. Um, I guess, I guess these days, honestly, I don't have very much me time. My me time is family time. And so we'll plan little things, take, take the kids and do things. Otherwise, right now. But that's cool too, because that's what matters to you. And that's what's important. And that feels good at the end of the day. And if you weren't planning that, and you were haphazard about it, you wouldn't get as much out of it. It doesn't mean that it has to be professional or it has to be success oriented. It could just be, you know what? 
we're going out to dinner tonight <laughs> and we're going to have fun and I'm going to spend time with my wife or my family or whatever it may be, but I'm actually going to make this something good as opposed to, well, we'll just kind of breeze through this and then tomorrow will be another day. Yeah. Uh, and, and speaking of work-life balance, what are, what are some of your thoughts on that? Because I, I have thoughts, but I'm curious as to your thoughts. Well, let's, let's hear yours. Like what? Well, I think it's kind of a, a myth. I don't, I don't think you can really balance. I think if you want to, I guess, have a mediocre life across the board, you can kind of keep the, the, the main areas of yourself and your relationships and your work and so forth balanced. But if you want to have anything extraordinary by definition, beyond the ordinary in any regard, you're going to have to, there have to be periods where your life is pretty imbalanced and you can work to bring things back into balance, which again, speaking to that point of, you know, you have quality and you have quantity of time. It doesn't, when you have very high quality time, you don't necessarily need, it's kind of like with your body recovering from sleep deprivation for every hour of sleep that you've missed, you don't need to sleep an extra hour because the body gets very efficient with the sleep it does get. So research shows, I think it's about one third of the sleep. So if you're like six hours behind in, in sleep, in terms of what your body would have liked to have, you know, you sleep a couple hours extra. I find that it works similarly in other areas of life where if you have been, in my case, let's say I've been neglecting uh, my my family because I've been working a lot where it, it's not that I need to repay that necessarily a one-to-one, -one, but if it's high quality time, that can make up for it. So I don't know, my experience so far has been basically that kind of things, trying to not let them get too imbalanced, but being aware of there are stretches where, yeah, it gets kind of imbalanced mostly because of work right now. And that's, that's the way that it is. And that's the way that I've chosen to live my life right now. And maybe in the future, I'll change that. But um, yeah, those are my initial thoughts. Yeah, I, I agree. And another place that I would go is that it's easy to try to separate work and life and see them as two separate things, but it is possible to blend them somewhat. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, you know, you always have to be working. It's more of a, like I, I have a friend who says he hates his job. I say, what would you rather do? And he says, you know, I really would like to be in something where I would, could help people. But okay. And I said, but you're a manager and you have a hundred employees. What if you just tried harder at work to help people, <laughs> you know, develop people, help them, you know, help them reach their goals, whatever it may be. What if you spent more of your time at work? Because that is your job is to develop your folks and hopefully help them succeed and help them achieve their goals because that helps your company achieve goals. What if you looked at it that way? It's like, oh, and I, I mean, it should have been blindingly obvious. It's not like I came up with this magical thought. There are things that if you have personally that are important to you that you'd like to do, take a look at your job and say, what about my personal interest can I bring to that that would also be a positive thing that helps me? So clearly with what you do, you like to help people. You get a kick out of that. And that's an outcome of the things that you do. And so while, yeah, you're working and you're putting effort into it, you're also getting some personal gratification out of the fact that you are managing to help people. That's my big thing with work life is take a step back and say, what is it that I would do if I wasn't working that I want to do more of in my life life, and then see what avenues you have at work to actually explore some of those things. And they almost always exist. 
I totally agree. I, I think though, there's still the point of time though, right? Because like <clears throat> you, you put your time into your work and you are working towards certain goals with certain people and that's just different than your love life. And that's just different than, you know, uh, the experience that you might have, let's, let's say with friends or other groups, it could be your community if you care about that. Um, or it could even be maybe some of the larger problems that we face culturally or politically it really kind of depends on who you are and what you care about and what you think that you could influence. Um, and so again, for me, while I really enjoy a lot of aspects of what I do, there are other things that um, I care about in life as well. And time that I'm spending recording podcasts like this or researching articles or writing health and fitness books is time that I'm not spending doing other things that also do matter. And, and again, that, that could be my something closer to home, like family, or in many people's cases, right? It's something even closer than that, like health. A lot of people neglect their health so they can just work more and, and they don't exercise and they don't eat well. And, and of course, that kind of spirals out of control. So, well, I think that's, I have to interrupt. You know, that's stupid. Of course, of course. Because <laughs> if you are fitter, if you are fitter and healthier, you are better and more productive at your job. And so to me, that's a, I see working out and being fit and trying to be healthy as part of being more successful professionally. And you know that's how that works. You can do it for short periods of time, but sooner or later it'll get you. And, you know, none of us are in this for two years. You know, every, every, we've got a lot of years to work and a lot of things that we can achieve. So that the idea that working out is a luxury that you'll fit in. Uh, you got to take a step back and say, okay, I need to reconstruct my life a little bit so I can do that. Both because it does help you professionally, but also, you know, you got people, if you have a family, they want you around for a long time. And, and then there's the quality of life, right? It's not just the time, but it's uh, it's everything that exercise gives you beyond just like muscles and abs and stuff. It gives you a clearer mind. It gives you better uh, moods. It gives you, you know, more energy. You're going to be a lot more efficient in your work because of how much better you feel. And then there is something to be said for just like that sense of well-being. It's a trope at this point where you have the the super successful person that has kind of just cratered their health getting there. And now they would trade any amount of money in the world for, for just, just to feel good again, just to feel like they used to feel. I did this series on Inc. where I I would find really successful people who see working out as part of the recipe that makes them successful. So it's not, say, an athlete who you know clearly has to work out because that's their product. Um, and then I would do their workout for a week just to see what that was like. And the working out for a week like they did, it was interesting. But what I think is more germane to your point is that every one of these guys, and one of them was Dick Costello. He was the CEO of Twitter for a while. There were startup founders. I did Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR driver's workout. Phil Collin from Def Leppard. He's a workout fool. But they saw the physical part of it as important, obviously, to their health, fitness for doing their career. But they saw the mental benefits of it to be even greater than the physical because it's the discipline and it's the focus and it's the grind and it's the I can do hard things and it helps with willpower and determination and all sorts of stuff. And they saw the mental benefits of working out from a professional point of view to be as important, if not more important than the physical benefits. So if you add all that up, man, you're missing out. 
Yeah, I can relate to that. I think in many ways, exercise is a form of therapy. Mm-hmm. In, in your book, one last thing I wanted to wanted to ask about you. You mentioned being a serial achiever and why we should strive for that uh, instead of never switching our focus to new things. Can you talk about that? Sure. The Another thing that I, I run into a lot where people will say they feel stuck is that they think they have to come up with one avenue or one pursuit that they will do the rest of their lives because if they do something for 10 years and decide to do something different, then all that 10 years is wasted and they're starting over. And and I think that's BS because one, very few of us are going to be able to go 40 years doing the same thing all the way through. That's not how it works anymore. But the other part of it is that I don't think we're really made to do that. So let's say that, I don't know, we'll take you, you do your fitness You do the stuff that you do. Let's say four or five years from now, you say, you know, I've gotten really good at this. I've been really successful. It's been financially rewarding. I've got a lot of benefits from it. But you know, I think I'd like to act. (laughs) I just made that up. You're going to be an actor. That's just, just that's, work with you know, I hate I hate Hollywood and pretty much everything it stands for. But that's all right. you know, let's work do it. Let's me. do it. I've changed my mind. I just really want to be famous and I really want to like molest. Oh no, 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 no. You're not you don't want to be famous. You want to act. Okay. There is a difference. So because if you just want to be famous, that's a whole different deal. And I, you're not that kind of guy. So Well, it's fame famous and molesting. I want them both. You know what I mean? Oh, well, okay. Then I just want to run the casting couch, okay? Really? <laughs> You can do that in other ways. But anyway, um, so you decide to do that. While that seems like a big switch and it seems like you will have wasted everything you've done, if that's really what you want to do and you're willing to work at it and put in the time and effort to become good at that, all the stuff that you did up until that point, you bring with you. You understand better how to market yourself. You understand better how to prepare. You know how to put plans together. You know a lot of stuff that you bring to that pursuit. And then maybe after six or seven years, you get tired of the casting couch routine and you decide you want to go and be a professor. I don't know. Pick something. Go work on that. Those are terrible examples. But the point is that you don't have to be one thing. And I would argue that you should not be one thing because one, that's a pretty limiting professional move and it puts a lot of eggs into one basket, which is scary. But the other part is that it's really fun to achieve different things. I think that's really fun. So I go through phases. Let's just talk personally. I go through phases where like for a while I was into cycling and I did it for three or four years and and rode some cool places and got to ride with some really cool people and was never super fit or super good. But I felt like a cyclist and I enjoyed it. But then I kind of got bored with that and decided I wanted to start lifting and see if I could get stronger. and, And I got into that and it was fun. That period of being a beginner and learning and embracing a new world, so to speak, and becoming something different, that's really, really fun. And I, you don't leave anything behind. You still have some of those skills and you bring all the stuff that you learned with you to your new pursuit. So I, if you're sitting around right now, if you're listening and you're sitting around right now and you're thinking, you know, I really, I think I'd like to start a side hustle, for instance, do it. It's not going to be wasted time. It's not going to be wasted effort. You're going to learn something from it. You're going to learn something about yourself, if nothing else. Get to a certain point, and if that's not what you want to do, pick something else that you would like to do, shift, and work on that. And you can carry these things with you your whole life, basically, and it's a really fun thing to do, and it's gratifying. And as long as you give it your best and you try really hard to succeed at whatever you've chosen to do, then you can't lose. And if you're not willing to give it your best and not willing to try really hard, then 
okay, you probably shouldn't be doing it in the first place because you don't care enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a few thoughts. And I think one, just preserving your willingness to exert effort and willingness to work hard toward things is very important, even if you're successful and maybe even more important if you're successful, because I've seen, I've known a number of people that uh, at one point in their lives were willing to work hard. They did work very hard. They achieved quite a bit of success. And and then they kind of went soft um, because you know they didn't have to work as hard anymore. But then things eventually went south for one reason or another. I'm, I'm thinking of a few people that it's been many years and they were never able to bounce back because they simply didn't realize they had become lazy. And, and they didn't want to go through the whole grind again, um, even though they, they know that's what it takes. They did it once, but they, for whatever reason, they haven't really faced that things are not the way they were. They are not, even necessarily their skills are not as relevant now as they were, the skills that allowed them to succeed the first time. And the, and the, the real problem that they're running into is that they're just not willing to work nearly as hard now as they as they once were. So if you are doing what you're saying, let's say, just take a side hustle. If nothing else, if you work on it, one, there's something to be said for newbie gains, right? In anything, whether it's exercise or that's always fun in the beginning because you're learning new things. You're making pretty quick progress in the beginning and that's fun. But also, well, if nothing else, we'll allow you to maintain your edge, I guess you can say, and that is going to serve you well in everything that comes. And that's something that I myself have tried to really keep in mind. And one of the reasons why I've personally pushed myself very hard, despite not quote unquote, not having to, there are, are many, many other people. And if they were in my position would not be doing much of anything because I don't technically have to do much of anything. If we're just talking finances, I, I, I could work very, very little and, and do just fine and have time for who knows what one that's just not me. But also I think that would be a very stupid choice because that's just, I've seen it too many times. That's just asking for the universe to come kick you in the nuts. It just is. And then, and then it can be a lot harder to get back up. So I figure if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging. The funny thing about success is that success creates this sense of like armor where I'm successful. And that armor, though, is an ego armor. Like, you know, I'm really successful and therefore I'm smart and I'm all these things. And it actually makes you less willing to be a beginner again or to show weakness or insecurity because you're successful. So how, you know, I, I don't do that. I, I know tons of people who will never try anything new because they are afraid it will make them look bad because they look really, really good in this one avenue of their life. And if you can stay in touch with that beginner side and that one, it makes you more humble, which I think is always positive. Two, it helps you relate to people, especially if you have employees. It helps you relate to them better because people always make mistakes and you make mistakes. And so you're not perfect. So it's good to remind yourself of that. But like you said, the other part of it is you get to have newbie gains. You get to learn something. You might become part of a different community that you weren't part of. All sorts of really cool things happen. And you keep flexing those muscles that if the universe does come around and kick you in the ass, well, it'll kick you. But then you can look around and say, okay, this sucks, but I know what I need to do. <laughs> and I know how to do it. And so let me get going because I may have gotten kicked, but I'm not going to stay kicked forever. Yeah. You know, I actually have, this is something I've been doing for a while myself where I like to always be doing something that I'm not good at, that I'm working at getting better at. So 
Um, that's I kind of use that for my my hobbies, so to speak. So, for example, um, right now I'm learning German, and learning a new language is, is a pain in the ass. It's definitely it's definitely an endurance exercise for the mind. But it, it'll be cool because my wife is German, so you know, and my kids even speak a little bit of German. So I'm I'm moving along. But that's an example of again doing something that is humbling. Where um, it's yeah, and then and, and before that, um, there was for I was I, I took up ice hockey. I played ice hockey when I was. Uh, a teenager played for a bit. I was decent, but I hadn't skated in a long time. So taking that back up again, I was doing it partially because I wanted to see maybe I'd play again. I wanted to try it out and see if I liked it as much as you know I did when I was younger. But also just because I would be the idiot, just because I know that you know the people that show up to even some of these open skates and and some of these scrimmages are people. I mean, some of these guys played professionally. Some of these guys played D one. These were really good hockey players. Now it wasn't it, it wasn't a rough game. Like we weren't out there to to try to hurt each other. But you know, it's just I was I was the dumbass basically. And before that, even taking up golf again, where I wanted to take up a sport that I could play for a long period of time and that wasn't too physically demanding, so it wouldn't cut into my workout recovery and stuff. And again, though, I was thinking like in golf is an awkward, terrible sport in the beginning. You're terrible. You're at least like basketball. You can shoot some, some baskets, especially if you have any sort of athleticism. You're not that you're good at all, but you can do something in, in the beginning at golf. You can't do anything. You can't even hit the ball 50 yards, let alone play the game. And it takes a lot of work just to get to the point where you even feel like you're playing the game. So anyways, my point with all that is I like to always have something that I'm doing that I'm not good at for the reasons that you gave, because it's humbling. It's also challenging. It challenges my mind. It challenges my ability to learn. And and yeah, and also I think it's good. It's healthy for the ego to, you know, because I can look at myself in maybe certain respects or certain spheres and and get kind of puffed up. But then if I have something to counterbalance that, well, like, yeah, but I'm, I'm fucking terrible over here. So at least that's good to know that I might be, you know, I might think I'm hot shit at this or that, but I'm most definitely just dog shit at this or that. Uh, I think it's healthy. What you just said brings this all full circle in a way because you're trying to learn German and it sucks and you feel awkward and you feel stupid and all of that stuff. But in the back of your mind, you are at the point now where you know, because of other things that you've done in your life, where that will only be the case for now if you keep working at it. And you have that confidence of, yeah, I know this, this sucks now, but I know I can do it because I've done this kind of thing before. And so like me with the guitar, my fingers feel incredibly awkward. Making them move to the right place and do the right thing at the right time, I swear I feel like I'm two. But it's fine because it's like other stuff that I've done. That's how it works in the beginning. In, in my case, I have a five-year-old son that can well now I'm, now I have surpassed him at the beginning he could speak better than me so it'd be like if you it'd be like if you had a two year old that could actually play a guitar he's like why why are you why are you bad at this why can't you do this exactly but I know it's fine I mean that sincerely it's fine that it feels that way right now because I know that's how it works and with time that gets better and I'll eventually look back and say you know this is actually a little easier than it was it's easier you know but. If you keep doing new things and stretching yourself, that does give you the confidence in those early days of when it feels terrible to know that, yeah, but that's how that works. That's how this is. Um, I have lots of friends that try new things and they give up after a few days and they say, well, it was just really hard. I'm like, well, what'd you expect? <laughs> it, it's hard. That's how that works. But it's okay because if you stick with it, you're going to get better at it. Well, no, it's too hard. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not cut out for that. 
And I think people are cut out for just about anything to a certain level. You may not become world class, but you can be 75% good at just about anything you try to do if you're willing to work at it. So why not? Better than most. I think most people could get to a point where they are better than most if they're just willing to suffer enough, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And, And it's just a matter of time and effort. And so if you do that enough, do that a few times, exercise that muscle, the early days, they don't really bother you because you know it's just part of it and it's okay. And so that that would be a good place, I think, to leave this on the motivation side because if you have done that a few times, the world opens up to you and it feels very empowering because you have the confidence to know that if I'm interested in something, I can go do that fairly well. I just have to work at it. And that's a really empowering thought. Yeah, you know, when I when I hear something like that, I think of um, it was Richard Branson had said in, in one of his books that uh, his, at four years old, his mom dropped him off about two miles from his house and basically told him like, figure out your way home and how that was a transformative experience for him. And I think of Thomas Edison, who, what, at seven, eight or nine or something was working on trains, just, just, just was gone. He just went off and started to make a life for himself. I have a joke in the office. Sometimes some people I'm like, if, if this person could just go get like dropped in the middle of South America or something with nothing, that would be, there's your therapy. Like you figure out how to make it back and you are now all your problems. Let's say eighty percent of your problems that you're <laughs> facing right now are now fixed. You're never going to deal with those problems again if you can just make it back. So I, I think of that sometimes. That I mean, that's a whole other discussion. But just how our how our how coddled our our youth are, especially in my generation. I'm a millennial, and it's just it's bizarre some of the stuff that I see. Some of the the, the things that this again, especially in my generation, of just how weak some of these people are. I, I can't. It's hard for me to comprehend. On a point you just made, don't you think it's like with fitness stuff, if you're working out and you're doing something that's really, really hard, like for me, cycling and climbing a mountain, say, effort after a while is almost like being dropped in the jungle. You, it strips away all of that surface stuff to where if you're you know, right on the red line and snot dripping out of your nose and you feel like throwing up and all the little petty problems kind of go away. <laughs> and you're just left with yourself and you're just left with who you are and in that moment. And that is a really cool cleansing thing that does actually make you go, you know, some of the shit that I worry about, it really isn't that big of a deal. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way, like, wow, you have to have a near death experience in order to realize that the trivial is actually trivial. But it does kind of clean you up where you say, you know, there's big picture stuff. It does matter. But there's a lot of little stuff that... uh I don't really care. It doesn't matter that much. I can let that go. Absolutely. I think it comes down though to you have you have necessity level, right? So that you know, where do you find you got to have the necessity level before you're willing to exert the effort, you have to feel the desperation that it takes, whatever level of desperation it is to do it and sometimes that's obviously what people are lacking is they don't feel uh, that it is important enough to exert that much effort. And again, um, the Richard Branson therapy or the Thomas Edison therapy or the uh, South America helidrop Hel- therapy is, you know, then then you, you got to figure it out. Like Branson had to figure out how to get home or he was, it was either that or die. And I'm sure like to a four-year-old, that's that's how he experienced that. And so it wasn't so much about the effort. It was the necessity. I have to do this. If I don't do this, then then there's nothing. You know, but I think you can ratchet up your, you know, because we all have these limits that we set on ourselves to say, okay, this much effort is all I can do, even though it's not really all you can do. 
where we have that effort. Like if you're lifting, failure oftentimes is not really failure. If you got to 10 reps and I said million dollars, if you get the 11th, you'll probably get the 11th. Whereas you said, you would have said to me, hey, I'm, I fail at 10. There are times when I will do something that's pretty bizarre, like I don't know, I guess it was about six months ago, I decided to do a thousand pull-ups one day. I just decided to do it. And what's weird about it is when you get done with that, it changes how you look at your normal limits on your everyday stuff. And so, you know, if you work a 14-hour day, it's really hard. But when you come back the next day and you only work eight, eight seems really short. So I do think there are ways sometimes if you kind of do an extreme version of whatever it is you do, that you can change that limit and cause yourself maybe not to feel as coddled, or I guess a better way to put it is to not coddle yourself as much because you realize that you are capable of doing a lot more than you thought you were. Yeah, that's the whole Jesse Itzler, you know, the book Living with a Seal, David Goggins thing where, you know, whenever you think you're about to, that's it. You, this is all you've got. You're like maybe 40% there, actual reserves. Anyways, for anybody listening, I, I'd recommend reading that book. It's a, it's a fun book, interesting story, but and also the guy Goggins is is just a psycho. <laughs> it's, it's, he's a crazy man. And so, but it, <laughs> yeah, it, right. it's, he's, he's someone that sticks in your mind whenever you're kind of going through something or, or you think your shit is bad or uncomfortable comfortable and you remember that he ran a hundred mile um super marathon uh with like a bottle of water and some crackers and <laughs> he just anyways yeah you don't have to take it to that extreme but it is a good example of most of our limits are arbitrary and self-imposed and you can create new limits for yourself if you're willing to do so it doesn't mean you have to kill yourself it just means that you know i mean if nothing else if i know people that say you know i can't focus for more than 30 minutes and i have to do something else and i okay whatever so just force yourself to do 40 and realize that you can do 40 there's all kinds of ways you can stretch yourself in a positive way not in a negative harmful harsh way that will cause you to redefine your limits and realize that you are capable of doing more than you thought and I think that's what all of us are looking for is that ability to do more than we thought that we could do better, faster, stronger, whatever it may be. Well put, well put. All right. Well, that's everything I had, Jeff. It was a great talk. I'm uh, re really glad we were able to do it. Where can people find you and your work? Is there anything in particular you'd like to tell them about? I write for Inc. Magazine. It's Inc.com. If you go there and search my name, there's about 1,500 articles, I guess. I'm a LinkedIn influencer, which is the only time I'll ever end up on the list with Richard Branson and Bill Gates and those folks. Um, so if you go to LinkedIn, and I actually do engage with people. And my book is wherever books are sold. Hey there, it is Mike again. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it interesting and helpful. And if you did and don't mind doing me a favor and want to help me make this the most popular health and fitness podcast on the internet, then please leave a quick review of it on iTunes or wherever you're listening from. This not only convinces people that they should check the show out, it also increases its search visibility and thus helps more people find their way to me and learn how to build their best bodies ever too. And of course, if you want to be notified when the next episode goes live, then just subscribe to the podcast and you won't miss out on any of the new goodies. Lastly, if you didn't like something about the show, then definitely shoot me an email at mike at muscleforlife.com and share your thoughts on how you think it could be better. I read everything myself and I'm always looking for constructive feedback, so please do reach out. All right, that's it. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I hope to hear from you soon. And lastly, this episode is brought to you by me. 
<laughs> Seriously though, I'm not big on promoting stuff that I don't personally use and believe in. So instead, I'm going to just quickly tell you about something of mine. Specifically, my 100% natural fat loss supplement, Phoenix. It has sold over 100,000 bottles in the last several years, and it helps you lose fat faster in three ways. One, it increases your metabolic rate. Two, it amplifies the power of fat-burning chemicals produced by your body. And three, it increases the feeling of fullness from food. In short, it speeds up your metabolism, it helps your body burn fat more efficiently, and it helps you control hunger and cravings and maintain high energy levels. Phoenix also contains no artificial food dyes, fillers, or other unnecessary junk. And all that is why it has over 700 reviews on Amazon with a four star average and another 250 reviews on my website with a four and a half star average. So if you wanna burn more fat every day and have an easier time sticking to your diet without having to pump yourself full of harsh stimulants or potentially harmful chemicals, then you wanna head over to www.legionathletics.com and pick up a bottle of Phoenix today. And just to show how much I appreciate my podcast peeps, use the coupon code podcast at checkout and you will save 10% on your entire order. And lastly, you should also know that I have a very simple 100% money back guarantee that works like this. You either love my stuff or you get your money back, period. You don't have to return the products. You don't have to fill out forms. You don't have to jump through any other hoops or go through any other shenanigans. So you really can't lose here. Head over to www.legionathletics.com now, place your order and see for yourself why my supplements have thousands of rave reviews all over the internet. And if for whatever reason, they're just not for you, contact us and we will give you a full refund on the spot.